to the screen and uh, I've got a short video clip that will introduce the theme that we're going to be talking about this morning and it's a clip taken from a couple of years ago from one of Australia's most well-loved and known sporting events. It's the final lap of the Bathurst 1000 and it is a moment of sheer joy for one and absolute devastation for another. Enjoy. is conserving fuel. Mostert is totally fine. He's in trouble. He's got to be in trouble. Can he redeem this? I very much doubt it. He's just got to find the gap there. Mostert, this is for the Bathurst 1000 victory. And Mostert tries to get around the outside. And McPhillamy, there's no space there. He tries to do it at Skyline. There's no space there either. Now he's just got to hold station because it's a one-line groove down through the dipper and on the run towards the elbow. This is off the scale. Off the scale as Wincup does everything he can. He had a three-second margin. He forks down the inside because he can. He comes away. Racing. This kid is going to win this thing today, and so is Paul Morris. Has not led a lap all day, Cropper. Not led a lap. Jeff Mostert is going to win with Paul Morris. Extraordinary motor race. Something you have never seen before. We are approaching the eighth hour of the 2014 Super Cheap Auto Focus 1000, and Jeff Mostert who's had 21 V8 supercar events and 56 previous races, is going to make a very special name in history here. He is the winner of the Super Cheap Auto Bathurst 1000. Moffat second. Second for James Moffat. And Nick Perkett makes it onto the podium. I'm out of breath. It's an unbelievable outcome. Davison fourth. Off the chain, an unbelievable outcome. If you're a Ford fan, I'm sure that you rejoiced that day. If you're a Holden fan, I'm sure you're bitterly disappointed. Jamie Wincup, Holden man, was winning that race by a significant margin until the final lap. And who was listening right at the very beginning? Why did he lose the race? Because he ran out of petrol. He ran out of fuel on the last lap. It's actually worse than that. His crew were telling him, you're low on fuel, you're low on fuel, you need to conserve, you need to conserve, and he refused to acknowledge it, and then he ran out on the very last lap. In fact, halfway, and the, the second half of the last lap is when he ran out of fuel. Now, I can say in all confidence and pride that I've never run out of petrol driving my car, which I'm very thankful for. It's got pretty close at times. But I have run out of petrol mowing my lawn, and that's not very exciting. In fact, that's quite frustrating when you see half jungle and then half nice uh, lawn. But life is a bit like that at times, isn't it? We know that we all have a tank, and the tank doesn't perpetually stay full, that our tank often runs down low. And many of us will know the stress or the anxiety and frustration of running on fumes, or worse, trying to run our life on empty. And so a question I want us to reflect on this morning is, when we're feeling empty, when the tank is low and we know it needs to get refilled, where do we go? And what do we use to fill up our tanks? I think we see a much better answer than what our world offers in John chapter 4 uh, this morning. So we're in John chapter 4 and it's another well-known story of Jesus following 
probably one of the most well-known conversations last week in John chapter 3 between Jesus and Nicodemus. And in many ways, the conversation that we listen to in John chapter 4 stands in contrast to the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus last week. Uh, In this chapter, we indeed meet a thirsty woman whose tank is low and needs to be refilled. But the story begins uh, in verse 4. Uh, where Jesus, we are told, has been down in Judea, uh, in Jerusalem, in the south, and he says that he wants to go back to the north, to Galilee. And there's this region in between Judah and Galilee known as Samaria. And we're told by John in verse 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, it's unclear as to why Jesus had to go through Samaria, because there were many roads from Judea to Galilee, Yes, there was a road right through the middle, through Samaria, but there was another road around the outside. So you didn't need to go through Samaria to get to Galilee, unless John wants to tell us in this little insight that Jesus had to go through Samaria because there was a divine purpose and plan of God that he indeed go there. And I think that's exactly why and what we see that happens. Anyway, Jesus is travelling through Samaria And then we're told in verse 5 and 6 that he stops outside a town called Sychar at a well-known well, and it's, we're told, the sixth hour. Now, the Holman doesn't quite help us here because it translates the sixth hour as six o'clock in the evening, but it's more likely that it was noon, the sixth hour of the day, and the day normally begins at 6 a.m. in Jewish timing, and so it's about midday. It's the the heat of the day, and Jesus and his disciples have been travelling, And so no doubt they are tired and thirsty and what better place to stop than uh, a place where there is cool, refreshing water, uh, this well outside Sychar. And it's at this point that we're told that a Samaritan woman comes to the same well and so begins this interesting and life-changing conversation between Jesus and this woman. Now, if there'd been any news reporters there that day taking a photo of this scene the response would have been interesting from those reading the article. I know we don't tend to read lots of newspapers or magazines today, but if you can remember when you did read a newspaper or a magazine, every now and again they would put up a photo with a title saying, what's wrong with this photo? And it's not because the photographer did a bad job in taking a photo, it's because there's something odd about the picture being taken. And if there was a photo taken of Jesus and this woman at this well in Samaria and say it was published in the Jerusalem Times, there would be many people that think that this was odd and unusual. When a Jewish man was on holidays, travelling, there were two important rules for them to follow. One, do not be alone with a woman. And two, do not eat or drink with a Samaritan. Do you notice how John makes this very clear, what's happening in this story? Verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Don't be alone with a woman and don't eat or drink with a Samaritan. Two general rules that you followed on your travels. And here is Jesus, a man alone with a woman, who happens to be of Samaria. And Jews and Samaritans did not like each other at this time. 
if you can kind of think of the apartheid regime in South Africa or a little bit closer to home, the, the tension and the rivalry between New South Wales and Queensland at state of origin time, except this tension is so much more loaded than that. There is a deep divide along religious and cultural grounds between the Jews and the Samaritans, so much so that they didn't speak or eat with one another. And yet here is Jesus, a Jewish man, prepared by himself to put aside those cultural and religious traditions and baggage and engage in a conversation uh, with this woman at the well. And what follows in this conversation, we see what is actually most important to Jesus, and it's not religious rules and traditions. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Now, husbands and wives sometimes have a conversation where the wives are speaking at this level and the husbands are speaking at this level. Is that true in your experience? In the conversations in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, we see that Jesus is speaking at this high level, speaking about heavenly things, eternal things, spiritual things, and often the people are speaking at a lower level, earthly things, material things. And we see that here in this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus is talking about spiritual, life-renewing, eternal satisfaction, living water. But all she hears is this physical, material sense that there must be a, a running supply of water that's unfamiliar to her. Maybe Jesus has a Mount Franklin factory somewhere with better water than what's in this well. She's like, I, I want to have some of that water so that I don't have to come here with my bucket. I can just go there and have an endless supply of physical water. What she doesn't realise in this conversation where Jesus is at this level and she is at this level is that Jesus is the water that she needs and that she is actually the bucket. And Jesus wants to give her this living water, satisfy her longing for thirst. And as the conversation continues, we see that this woman is, phys is not just thirsty physically, you know, she needs hydration, but she's also thirsty emotionally and relationally as well. Because this is what Jesus says to her in verse 16. Okay, you want this water? Verse 16. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus, here again, we see his divine knowledge and power. 
that he can see everything about this woman's life and Jesus knows that she's thirsty not just for hydration, she's thirsty for acceptance, thirsty for love and recognition and he knows that she's lived a messy, broken life. Jesus knows that she's had five husbands. Now, we don't know why she's had five husbands. Maybe they have all died. Maybe it's not her fault. Maybe they have divorced her. Maybe she has left. We don't know. But her current situation does reveal just how thirsty she is to be accepted, to be loved, to be appreciated, even to the point that she is prepared to live with a man who is not her husband. Now, I know that's not a big deal in our culture today, although in many cultures it is. But in the culture of Jesus' day, it was a big deal for a woman to live with a man, not her husband. And it's probably why this woman comes out to the well by herself in the middle of the day. In that culture, women did go out to the well to fetch water for their families and communities, but they'd often go together early in the morning when it was cooler or later in the afternoon when it was cooler. And they'd take the opportunity to go out together and to talk as as women like to do, you know, like going to the shops today. Uh, They'd share stories and how the kids are going and and what's happening in each other's lives. But this woman, she comes out in the middle of the day by herself. Why? Well, maybe she wants to avoid the other women, avoid those awkward conversations where they might question and snigger about her current lifestyle choices. But she's not alone because there is Jesus sitting next to the well, a stranger to her, yes, but he knows everything about her her past and her present. And he knows that she has been thirsty for a long time and she has been filling up her tank with one relationship after another, searching for that deeper satisfaction and love and acceptance and it hasn't worked. Jesus points out her brokenness, please hear this, Jesus points out her brokenness not to ruin her day but to renew her life. Jesus points out her mess and her brokenness, not to ruin her day, but to renew her life. And the very fact that Jesus takes time and puts aside the cultural and religious baggage to even engage in a conversation with this woman shows that he cares and shows that he wants what's best for this lady. Now, what is her response to Jesus? Verse 19, we see. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Now, her response here is a classic response that pastors are very used to seeing. And that is when you point out a sore point in somebody's personal life, after that awkward pause, there is often, there is often a redirection, a distraction are changing the subject and that's what she does here jesus has pointed out the brokenness of her life not to ruin her but to renew her and her response is let's talk about religion let's not talk about my personal life let's talk about religion you do say that we must worship in jerusalem but we think that we need to worship here a a contemporary example of this might be okay my, my father was a roman catholic but my mother was a protestant i don't really know what to believe it's just an excuse to try and distract the conversation, deflect the conversation from her personal life uh, onto something more abstract. 
But Jesus wants nothing to do with these excuses. He does answer her religious questions. Uh, He is gracious in that sense. And we won't read his entire response again, but let me summarise it for you. He basically says, Madam, I'm telling you that a day is coming when it doesn't matter whether you worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain. What God really cares about is not traditions and rules and things like that, but a personal relationship with him, worshipping him in spirit and in truth. But not convinced that it's right to bring the conversation back to her life, the woman responds in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And can you see what she's trying to do here? I still don't want to talk about my personal life. But when the Messiah comes, when Christ comes, he will explain this all to us. I don't need to think about this God stuff right now. I can wait but can she wait? Verse 26, Jesus says, I am he, the one speaking to you. You say you want to wait to get this all sorted out when the Messiah comes? Well, let me tell you, I'm here, the one speaking with you right now. Don't put this off any longer. You are thirsty and I can give you what you are ultimately longing for. Eternal, life-renewing change satisfaction that will last i can give it to you now don't wait and how often still today do we hear excuses from people saying i will sort out the god stuff later i don't need to do it now i'll wait till after i finish school i'll wait till i'm a bit older in life maybe towards the end of my life when it's really serious and i need to work that stuff out with god Um, I'm just waiting until God does something miraculous in my life so that I know he's real and then I will deal with him seriously. But Jesus says, the time for new life is now. The Messiah has come. His offer is there for all. Now, like this woman of Samaria at the well, I want to suggest that we have all tried to fill up our tanks with all sorts of water supplies What's been filling your tank recently? That was the question I asked at the beginning of the message. Where are you looking to satisfy your thirst? Maybe like the woman at the well, you have been moving from one intimate relationship to another, trying to find that satisfaction, and yet you're still feeling empty. Maybe some of you have tried to fill up your tank with material possession after possession, hoping that the next gadget or toy or whatever comes out from Apple will satisfy you, but yet you still feel empty. Maybe some of you have tried to fill up your tank with experience, going to the next concert or the next holiday or investigating the next religious thing and yet you still feel empty. Why? Well, as I said last week in that great quote from C.S. Lewis, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy but only to arouse it, to suggest, to point to the real thing. And there are a number of wells that many of us have been drinking from, hoping to satisfy us, but they never do. They are as effective as drinking water from a toilet bowl. Yes, you'll get some hydration, but really, 
it's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth and you'll never be satisfied, will you? Where Jesus is saying, I am the Mount Franklin of water supplies. I can give you clean, refreshing, in fact, life-renewing satisfaction. Come to me. I remember when I first became a Christian as a teenage boy, uh, some amongst my friends at school and indeed my own family members accused the church of brainwashing me. And I didn't say this to them in reply, but I thought about it. I thought about telling them, well, if you knew what was in my brain as a teenage boy, you would know that it needed washing and not just my brain, other parts of me as well. And there is a washing that happens, isn't there, internally when you become a Christian. But as you think about this brainwashing, manipulating, deceiving idea, it's really our world and our culture that has been brainwashed as they think that they can go to all manner of wells to find satisfaction, but they are really just toilet bowls that leave them dissatisfied when Jesus offers the true life-giving water of eternal satisfaction. The gospel of Jesus is not brainwashing in that sense. It's really a light of reality and hope for people in desperate need. And the time to drink that water is now. Don't wait until you're older. Don't wait till you get all your questions sorted out. Don't wait for the next amazing experience that you hope will come your way. Drink from the well that is Jesus today. Jesus is the water. You are the bucket. Fill your life with him. And if that's new to you this morning, I'd love to talk with you more about that. And I'm sure Elizabeth and Kevin and Chris would as well. And if you'd like to talk more about that, why don't you write on your Engage card today, I want to talk more about this life-renewing water that Jesus can give. Now, did this woman, this Samaritan woman, drink from this well of life? Well, we don't know for sure whether she did come to put her ultimate trust and faith in the Lord Jesus. But I want to suggest there are signs in the story that follows that show that I think she's well on the path, even more so on the path than what Nicodemus was last week. Because after this conversation with Jesus, we're told that she is prepared to leave her bucket behind at the well and she runs back to town. And as she gets to town, we see that she's not empty. She came to the well with an empty bucket to fill it up with water. But Jesus has reminded her that she is the bucket and so she's prepared to leave the physical bucket behind. She is now the bucket. She is filled with a message of hope and so she takes that message to her town and says, I've met someone that knows everything about me yet was willing to show compassion and have a conversation with me. You need to meet him. He could be the Messiah that we've been waiting for. She doesn't know for sure but you can see that there has been some kind of spiritual work in her heart and in her mind. In verse 39, we're told that many of the Samaritans of the village come out to meet Jesus. And at the end of the story in verse 42, we're told that they declare and believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world. Whether this woman has come to put her ultimate trust in God, we don't know for sure just yet. But God has worked in her and through her to bring renewal to an entire village. You know when Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria? Can you see why? Because God had been preparing this people to hear the message of life and they were thirsty and eager to drink from it. Where are you looking to satisfy your thirst? Now what about the disciples? 
Where have the disciples been in this whole story, in this whole conversation? Well, we're told at the beginning that disciples went into town. They've been waiting in the Macca's drive-thru this whole time because they've been hungry and they've been out to get some food. And then they return to Jesus. They notice that he's having this conversation with the woman and the woman runs off to tell everybody in town. And then there's this stream of people coming out of the village to engage with Jesus. Streams of thirsty people ready to receive life. And verse 31, this is what is on the disciples' mind. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Can you picture that? There are streams of thirsty people coming out to Jesus and all the disciples are thinking about is, Jesus, you've got to eat something. You know, there's a bit of a wait at Macca's in town, but we've got something for you. You need to eat. They're thinking about the next meal while there is this incredible mission that is happening. And so Jesus has to reorient and redirect their priorities. Have a look at verse 32. He says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. I'm thinking about this level and you're thinking about this level. I have something that sustains me and gives me purpose and meaning beyond just the here and the now. I have a mission to do. You have a mission to do. And you're just thinking about the next meal. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? They're still thinking at this level. Did he just like go to KFC while we were at Macca's and he had a bucket of chicken while we weren't looking or did someone slip him a muesli bar like what's going on jesus says my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work i'm at this level i'm mission-minded you are meal-minded jesus told them don't you say there are still four more months then comes the harvest don't you say let's just rest let's be comfortable let's have our happy meal and smoothie because there's still time until the big next big thing and Jesus says, listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. Jesus is telling his disciples, you're being meal-minded when you need to be mission-minded. There are streams of thirsty, hungry people eager to find life, and you're just focused on your comfort become mission-minded and I wonder if Jesus might say the same thing to you and to me today disciple are you just meal-minded at the moment or are you mission-minded I tell you open your eyes and look at the fields they are ripe for harvest the fields were ripe for harvest in Jesus day as streams of people came out to him to find life I want to suggest that the fields are still ripe for harvest. God is working in our own community, in our part of Sydney. God is working in Zambia, in Africa. The fields are ripe for harvest. We just need to have our eyes open and we need to have our hands and our hearts engaged. Now is not the time to sit back with our happy meal and smoothie and be comfortable it's harvest time. When it's harvest time, you don't just sit back. The corn doesn't pick itself. You've got to get out into the field. You've got to work. You've got to engage. And it's the same on God's mission. Now is the time not to sit back. Now is the time to engage, to work, to pray, to bring in the harvest. Are your eyes open? 
let me encourage you in light of our AGM that we're going to have later this afternoon to take this day as an opportunity to re-engage in the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't let cultural or religious or traditional barriers get in the way. He knows that what he is offering is for all people. Re-engage with that idea again today. Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray for strength and energy to work, even when there are so many distractions that will pull you away. It's harvest time. Open your eyes and see how ripe it is. Disciple, are you meal-minded or are you mission-minded? Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Come again to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the water of life, that you bring ultimate life-renewing transformation and change, that you wash us clean and you give us everlasting life. We're sorry for the times that we look for satisfaction in toilet bowls of this world. We want to drink again from your well. We are the buckets. Fill us afresh, we pray. And for those of us that are your disciples, Lord Jesus, we pray that our buckets would overflow with you, that we can't help but see your life-giving water bring refreshment and renewal to all those around us. And we know, Father, it begins by having our eyes open to see your fields and how ripe for harvest they are. So open our eyes, we pray. Draw us to those thirsty and hungry people who need to drink and eat from the source of life. And it's his name we pray.